This week on The Big Show, earlier this week, the world paused to remember the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. We look at the five best portrayals of Dr. King on stage and screen. Plus, we'll sit down with writer-director Dion Taylor to discuss his upcoming thriller, Traffic. And we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including A Quiet Place, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Welcome to the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon, and we have an action-packed packed show today. Uh, coming up a little later on in the show, uh, director, writer-director Dion Taylor is going to stop by and join us to talk about his thriller, which stars Paula Patton, and the film is called Traffic. Um, I want to talk to him about this movie. Uh, you know, sexual trafficking or sex trafficking is huge right now. And which is the topic of this film. So I can't wait to really get his views on that as well. Also, uh, I want to talk about the five best portrayals on screen of Dr. King. So we will look at that in a segment coming up. And also later on in the show, we will, of course, have movie reviews. And this week, as we get as we inch closer to the beginning of the summer film season, uh, we've got three really interesting films that I want to discuss today and look at. Of course, that's Finding Your Feet. Blockers, and of course, the thriller A Quiet Place. So we'll have reviews from all those movies. And as well, Wilson Morales will join us momentarily to, uh, to give us the scoop on what's going on in entertainment news. So with that being said, let me just start off by saying that, uh, you know, I know that we've had movies like Ready Player One and a couple other movies that have come out over the last couple of weeks that have knocked Black Panther out of its top spot. But the movie continues on the low to really still do really good business. Uh, early this week, it moved into the number four spot all time, uh, surpassing Jurassic World. It now sits at $654 million domestically uh, for a total of $1.28, I think, is where its Black Panther is now. Um, in the next couple of days, when it makes, when it reaches, uh, six fifty nine. I think it's about five million dollars away. It will it will land at number three. Uh, so Black Panther is still doing amazing business, and there also is this fact that Avengers: Infinity War is coming out in about three weeks. Uh, and I think that when people go and see this film, I think it will bring people back to Black Panther since Wakanda is supposed to be featured. Uh, in this next upcoming Marvel film. So really good business for this film. Um, as I said, and it also overseas, those numbers I think are like over 600 million. I think it's over 620. And uh, the movie has now moved into the top 10 all time. So, you know, nobody at Marvel expected it, but this is the movie that keeps on giving. So enough of that. Uh, without any further ado, it is time for me to go up to New York and online with me is Wilson Morales, editor in chief of blackfilm.com, who joins us at the top of every show. 
Wilson, welcome to the show. How are you, my brother? It's good. It's going to be on. It's a cold day in New York City, but uh, we're managing. Oh, man. Well, you know, cold day. I mean, we're expecting snow over the weekend. <laughs> so it's just it just won't stop, man. I know you guys have had snow the last couple of days. Yeah, it's come and gone. You know, it's like they'll, you'll get a, a big two, three feet, and then by the next day it's gone. Yeah, man. So, so what is going on in entertainment news this week, Wilson? Well, you know, you were talking about Black Panther, and it's a movie that keeps on going. Uh, you mentioned it, it dropped to number four, or it actually climbed up to number four, and then in a few days it'll climb up to number three. Uh, I think once it hits 660, it will pass Titanic, mm-hmm. you know, which is a big feat. Uh, and I think that's probably where it will end because they're at six, if they get to 660, number two is uh, Avatar at 760. So I don't know if they can manage a hundred more million dollars domestically. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't um, see it. I don't see it either. But I think it'll probably sit ultimately between six seventy five and six ninety. Ultimately, yeah, which, which is still a big feat. To, you know, to constrain the fact that it takes a long time. You know, especially when you think about timing, competition. You know, uh, people going over and over again. You know, when you hit those numbers, those are repeat viewers. And uh, you know, land top ten, top, top maybe eight all time um but that that's a big fee and and by the time this airs it would have been uh the news that just went out earlier this week that uh panther will now be the first film to be shown in saudi arabia in 35 years wow yeah i just saw that man that's amazing now while we're talking about marvel um i'm looking at variety right now and they are projecting that uh infinity war is uh Anywhere between 175 million to 200 million dollar opening. Um, wow, man! <laughs> you, know, oh, yeah. I, you know, go ahead. You have people who who still want to see, knowing that the trailer showcases half the Black Panther cast, Wakanda. People want to see where the next step is with this cast, and they're included in Avengers. You're going to get people seeing Avengers just because part of the Black Panther cast is in it. Wow, man. I, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just thinking because I actually have a friend who actually has Disney stock that he purchased like 15 years ago. And every time we talk about the success of Black Panther or other Marvel movies or any Star Wars movies, you know, I always see him with this twinkle in his eye. And I just can't imagine. I mean, Disney is poised that possibly have two one billion dollar films happen within the first six months of 2018. It's ridiculous, Wilson. It really is. It's just ridiculous. Yes, and then you got to also remember, you still they still have Solo, you know, the Star Wars story coming out in May. Mm, and each of those movies were made over a billion dollars. Yeah, so it's the, the you know the rich keep getting richer, and uh, you know this Marvel universe. I can't wait. Uh, we're about less than two weeks out from you know from us getting an opportunity to see it. Uh, it drops in theaters in three weeks, man. Um, you know, I saw you a couple of days ago when they released the uh, character posters uh, for Infinity War. I, I saw the little tongue-in-cheek that they made one for everybody but M'Baku, <laughs> who was in the film. Um, is it simply just a matter that they ran out of space, man, and that they had a certain amount allotted? Or, does, or is this saying something about the role that he's, he's in the movie, but maybe not as featured prominently as we would like him to be? Yeah, the assumption is he's probably not as featured prominently. I guess, you know, you never know with a film who's going to steal what, who's going to steal scenes. 
And even when, you know, he was the newcomer in Black Panther, no one knew that he'd become a scene stealer, you know, out of that cast, especially when you're filming Avengers and you already got enough heavyweights to begin with. No, you're absolutely right. Now, the other big news today, and I was waiting for you to hit this one, was that uh, they just announced that uh, Jordan Peele is going to produce the new Lorena Bobbitt docuseries. Uh, do you have anything on that yet? I think everything old is new again. You know, it's like, I don't think it, most of millennial people do not know the Lorena Bobbitt case, but I think anybody old enough does remember that. Uh, I don't know what was the thinking behind, you know, Jordan Peele, you never know what he's going to do. You know, he's got a lot of projects. He's got, he's co-seeing the uh, film with um, wow. Black Men that's being directed by Klee. Right. He's got a project with, um, with uh, HBO that has uh, Alicia Green attached to it and J.J. Uh, Abrams. So he's just a man, a jack of all trades at this point. So let me let me just say this, Wilson. We talked about Lorena Bobbitt, and I have a producer and is looking across from me who has no clue who Lorena Bobbitt is. If we have members in our audience who are as young, talk a little bit about what why why Lorena Bobbitt was infamous. Lorena Bobbitt, and this is me not looking on the web or anything like that, was infamous because she was an abusive. Uh, no, she was coming she from was an abused. abusive relationship. Right. She was abused, and she cut off uh, the private parts of her husband, who then had it surgically put back. Mm. Yes, John Wayne Bobbitt. Yes, uh, 25 years ago this happened. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so Jordan Peele, man, uh, interesting choice. Like you said, him and Spike are collaborating on Black Klansmen. Um, I know Jordan Peele is hot right now, and uh, he's got a lot of activity. So, I, you know, this is going to be an Amazon series. So they, there is no ETA on this. So I'm assuming this is a 2019 project or beyond. So we'll take a look at it and check it out. Is there anything else going well, on, I, Wilson? Yeah, someone had mentioned that on my, I guess, social media line that this was the first time, at least as a Sunday, where you had three filmmakers with films in the top ten. You know, you had uh, Panther, you had, uh, you know, obviously Ryan Coogler, uh, you had Tyler Perry's Acrimony, mm-hmm. and you still have Wrinkle in Time, directed by Avery DuVernay. Um, although that film hasn't done well, nevertheless, it's still within the top ten. So just to have three black filmmakers within the top ten in this one week, it's just a story to mention. No, I absolutely agree with you, man. I think that uh, the fact that Wrinkle in Time may not have been may not have gotten off to a runaway start but it still is a solid earner and it is not going to be the bust that i thought it was going to be i think as you i think you correctly predicted that the film will pick up steam and it'll be solid it may not be huge but it'll be solid and and it's proven to be that wilson well right now it's at around 86 million and with a budget of about 103 million and plus the film's taken overseas so like technically speaking well I don't know the whole money wise but you needed to make at least 400 worldwide in order for that film to start even breaking even and it's uh, just about a, a hundred and six right so like it, it, it will be at a loss but nevertheless you know it's still an achievement in some areas well it's a loss uh, but Ava DuVernay has a has another project that she was smart enough to uh, negotiate before this film came out. And she's had a solid track record. So this this will be one of those films that I think 
will be chalked off that they've tried to adapt this book twice and put it on screen and it hasn't worked either time. So it's not necessarily on Ava. It's more about the property than it's on the director. Well, you know, I think a lot of children's movies, you know, they always do it left and right. You know, Disney tried it with Tomorrowland. Even Spielberg had a movie called BFG that didn't do well at the box office. Right. You know, right. uh, you know, and we've seen a lot of stories where they try to make it into franchise films that just never took off. You know, so it, it takes a lot to make a successful film. All right, Wilson. Well, I want to thank you today, man. But before we get off the air, man, tell people where they can follow you and read your content. Find me over at blackfilm.com, which is the website, as well as the same words we have for Twitter and Instagram. All right, bruh. As, a, as I, I tell you every week, man, it's always a pleasure, man. I look forward to talking to you next week, man. All right. Have a good one. You as well, man. You take care. Bye. All right. And that is Wilson Morales from blackfilm.com, who joins us at the top of every show to talk about entertainment news. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back on the other side, we want to remember the great legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We'll have that and more on the other side. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon at 96.3 HD4. Negro child into this world the way they be blowing them up. Yes, they hate so easily, and we love too much. Last time, I heard you was preaching everybody the same. Negro folk, white folk, we all alike. Well, at the most human level, we are all the same. Well, one thing we all got in common. We scared, Cammie. We all scared. We're scared of each other, scared of ourselves. They just scared. Scared of losing something they've known their whole lives. Fear makes us human. Martin Luther King Jr. was a human being and he was imperfect. He was conflicted, but his love was unchallengeable. We have an opportunity to inject morality in the veins of our civilization. We were trying to redeem the soul of America from racism, war, and poverty. We're dealing with issues that will call for the restructuring of American society. The most difficult time of his life was the 18 months before his assassination. I will continue to preach nonviolence. I do not know that everything that Martin said or did, he was quite prepared for. In the middle of all that was the rising of the Vietnam War. Dr. King made the decision that he had to be against the war. These people 
are damning me when I say you ought to be nonviolent toward little brown children in Vietnam. Stick with civil rights. You know, every now and then, I think about my own death. I don't think about it in a morbid sense. But like anybody, every now and then I ask myself what it is I would want said. And if any of you are around when I have to meet that day, tell them I don't want a long funeral. Just tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize that isn't important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. But I'd like for somebody to mention on that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. Well, if Byard Rustin is here, then I guess we've arrived. <laughs> Dr. King. You're gonna be blunt. You're straying from the principles of nonviolence. In what way? You're the leader of a nonviolent movement. And yet you have guns in your home and these armed guards outside. Let me ask you something, Mr. Rustin. Would you risk your family for a tactic? Nonviolence is not a tactic. Would you risk your family? Nonviolence is an ideology. I have it's an obligation to protect my family and defend religion. my own. Well, the guns don't make me feel any safer. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. And that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking, we're demanding. Give us the vote. Okay, and of course, those were several actors, including Dr. King himself, who have voiced the character of Dr. Martin Luther King on screen, as well as the real Dr. Martin Luther King. You guys, of course, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. And again, uh, earlier this week, uh, the world paused, I would say, to, uh, to celebrate MLK 50, which was the hashtag. And of course, you know, it was 50 years ago on April 4th at approximately 7.01 that a shot rang out while Dr. King was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel with Andrew Young, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, and of course, later on, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. And of course, that triggered, you know, not just uh, riots that happened across the nation, but also a reexamination of this legacy and of the loss of such a giant, just an enormous figure. And of course, you know, being what it is, Hollywood will make movies. And coming in the break, you heard some of the clips of actors who have played Dr. King uh, over the course of, uh, of Hollywood lore since he has left us. So I wanted to go through and look at the top 
five portrayals of Dr. King on film. And you've heard some of them, so let's go in depth and talk a little bit about some of them. Coming in at number five is a play that you heard a clip of, uh, which should have been Samuel L. Jackson and Angela Bassett on Broadway. And the play was called The Mountaintop. Um, The Mountaintop, of course, tells the story of the night before Dr. King is slain, uh, that he has has kind of a conversation with uh, a woman that works at a hotel, only to discover that this woman is just not randomly there, but she serves a much higher spiritual purpose. Um, I didn't get a chance to see The Mountaintop on Broadway, but I did watch it here locally in D.C. at Arena Stage. And I remember vividly not knowing anything about the story going in. And the twist that the, the, the story has, and I don't want to ruin it because somebody may have a, you know, kind of a, you know, an, a version of this playing in a city that you guys are listening to us in. But the mountaintop is very powerful. And as I said, you heard both Samuel L. Jackson, who played Dr. King on Broadway uh, in this role. Um, I thought he was really good. The thing about people who play Dr. King, which is interesting to me, and we'll talk about some of these performances, is that some people try to embody the essence of what they think Dr. King was. Then there are others that try to mimic his speech. And to varying degrees, you know, it almost reminds me of an analogy that I like to use that, you know, back in the day, people used to drive the 300, right? The Chrysler 300. And they would always say that the Chrysler 300 looked like a Bentley. Well, it does look like a Bentley until you pull up next to a real Bentley and go, no, nah, it doesn't really look like a Bentley. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of the appearance of it. And it's the same thing I would say with people who try to play Dr. King. So Samuel L. Jackson tried a little bit uh, to try to emulate Dr. King a little bit. And just, you know, it, t- it worked to varying degrees. It was a much better, the story I think was better than the performance of Samuel L. Jackson Angela Bassett really shined in that role, uh, playing uh, this maid who, uh, you know, helps him in his transition. Coming in at number four was a movie that we just talked about uh, recently on the show called King in the Wilderness. And the King in the Wilderness is probably the only film that's on the list as a documentary. So we hear Dr. King in his own voice in this film as we trace the last 18 months of his existence before he is slain and the trials and tribulations and, and the, the, all the enormous weight that he was carrying around as he was trying to maintain his movement in the face of groups like the Black Panther Party and, you know, Stokely Carmichael and SNCC and things of that nature as the, as the politics were changing uh, in the mid to late 1960s. Um, Dr. King, you know, we hear his eloquence. You know, if you watch the speeches, of course, everybody's seen the I Have a Dream speech. Everybody's seen the mountaintop speech, you know, to varying degrees. If you go online or you go on a YouTube or Vimeo or whatever site you watch your news, you can always see clips of Dr. King doing what Dr. King does. So the mountaintop king, excuse me, King in the Wilderness, which debuted on HBO earlier this month. If you haven't had an opportunity to check that out, please do. Coming in at number three, Paul Winfield in the television miniseries, a four-hour miniseries, King, um, where I thought he was absolutely fantastic, and you heard it in the clip on the way in. 
Um, he is really good. And for a, for a while before our number two and our number one selections, his film, his film portrayal was the definitive Martin Luther King, um, you know, kind of kind of portrayal. So if you haven't had an opportunity to see King, it's a it doesn't play often on television, but I'm sure you can find it if you go online. King is absolutely fantastic, and so is Paul Winfield. Coming in at number two, Jeffrey Wright uh, in the 2001 HBO uh, movie Boycott uh, is actually really good in this as well. And this is a different kind of spin on Dr. King where it's more or less kind of a spin that they play him not necessarily as the character who is weighted down, but more of how he would kind of what's the word I'm looking for, how he would transition or how he would not transition, but how would he be if he were influenced or around the the youthful energy of today? And, you know, it's very interesting, you know, him and Carmen, I mean, not Carmen and Jojo, Jojo, because that's a that's a different King. I'm trying to remember who played his wife in that, but uh, who played Coretta Scott King, but Jeffrey Wright is a solid character actor, and I thought he did a really solid job uh, not having the resemblance of Dr. King, picking up a little on the cadence, but not trying to overdo the cadence. I thought it was a really well-mannered performance, really good screenplay, and Boycott, as I said, was probably, you know, as we're going through this list, you know, you start from three to one. It's like each one, you know, before another one comes out, okay, yeah, this is the best one. And then comes Jeffrey Wright. So Jeffrey Wright, to me, superseded the work that Paul Winfield did in King. But Boycott is a really, really good movie. And then, of course, finally, at number one, Ava DuVernay, who we just talked about in the last segment, I think makes the definitive King film. And, of course, that film was Selma with David Oyelowo, who for people who didn't know was attached to this movie like seven years before Ava DuVernay came along. So he devoured everything he could, he he could find on Dr. King. Uh, While his cadence may not have been as strong, he substituted the, the speech patterns, which he actually did a pretty good job with. He substituted that, for raw passion and in the screenplay, you know, the direction of Ava DuVernay, the entire supporting cast. Selma is a giant, you know, was nominated for Best Picture. Oyelowo nominated for Best Actor. He was really, really supremely strong in this film. And um, to me, of all the performances, you know, we look at the top three. Paul Winfield, of course, coming in at number three. Jeffrey Wright coming in at number two. David Oyelowo coming in at number one. I mean, you can kind of all these you can I was going to say you can kind of, you know, know, throw a rock and just hit either of them. All three of those performances are kind of top of the pile for folks who have played Dr. King. And I think it also helps that, as we talked earlier, with a supporting cast that you at least see in Boycott and Selma. Um, I know Cicely Tyson played uh, Coretta Scott King in King. So, you know, really strong work. And as I said, those to me are the five, five performances. One is, a, one is a, a stage play. If you get a chance to see The Mountaintop, please check it out. Of course, King of the Wilderness is on HBO. King, Boycott, and Selma are films that you can either find, you know, either locally and, you know, on DVD um, or you can actually look at them online. But all three of those are really, really excellent. Uh, so I'm going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side and we're going to talk with writer, director Dion Taylor. 
His brand new movie, Traffic, is in theaters next week. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon at 96.3 HD4, dcradio.gov. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov. Uh, that last segment with Dr. King, man, means a lot to me. And, um, you know, so it's been a, it's been a time of reflection. Uh, so online with us right now is the writer, director, producer of the upcoming film Traffic, uh, which examines sex trafficking and simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It stars Paula Patton, Omar Epps, Laz Alonzo, Rosalind Sanchez, and William Fitcher. And online with us is Dion Taylor. Dion, welcome to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Oh, man, I love that. Keeping it real. <laughs> What's going on, my brother? Oh, uh, man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for the introduction of the film, man. Hey, good. man. You should be reading, uh, reading trailer ads. Hey, man, give me a call. You know, I'm always available. <laughs> <laughs> All hilarious. right, man. So let us talk a little bit about traffic, man. I mean, you know, I've watched your work, man, for years. You know, I've seen some of the projects that you've produced. Uh, you know, Night Tales, the series. Used to check that out back in the day. Um, I actually also saw Chain Letter, man. So you stepping it up. You stepping the game up, brother, with, with traffic, man. Talk to us a little bit about the genesis of what got you attracted to creating this story. Man, first of all, those two projects you just named were the first two things I've ever done in my life. So, so, so that's old school. Right. Uh, but yeah, but it's great, man. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, as an independent filmmaker. Uh, you step into this world and you're trying to figure out exactly what you want to make and what you want to do. And uh, things come to you at different times. And this movie actually came to me through a very, very different place, which was I got a letter in the mail from my daughter's school who's 12, and they were telling us about trafficking at the local mall. Hmm. And I looked at the letter like, okay, well, this don't pertain to us. We black. <laughs> so I was like, you know, and, and just as dumb as that sounded was as dumb as I felt after I looked at, you know, did some research and learned that, you know, 85% of the, the, the women and children out of traffic are minorities, wow. black and Latino. And uh, I was blown away, man. And, and I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and dug more and more and started realizing like, oh my God, this is crazy. Why is it like this? And then I figured it out. Like it was like inner city neighborhoods, Baltimore, Maryland, Chicago, DC, Oakland, Crenshaw, you know what I mean? Right. It was like, and then I said, oh, these are underserved markets and these kids are being taken from these places. And uh, I just, you know, I, I, I was taken aback by it and, and I started writing a story. And as I started researching more about trafficking, I said, man, no one, no one would want to see a movie about this just because it's really sad it's, it's dark it's depressing 
And uh, I started putting two and two together, and I started reading some very interesting stories about how this happens. And I said, man, I got it. It should be a thriller put on top of this. And that's how we build traffic, man. And, and at this point, I'm really excited, man. People are moved by the film. They're jumping out their seat, throwing popcorn at the screen. So I think we made something really, really cool, but also uh, that will give information on, you know, what this thing is about. Now, in the film, man, and, and for those who are just tuning in, we're online with writer-director Dion Taylor, and we're talking about his upcoming film, Traffic, which I think opens in theaters next week here, uh, the 20th of April. Um, so, Dion, as you were creating the story, I love the device you use where you had uh, Paula Patton's character, who stars in the film, as a journalist, and how she is kind of, at the, at the onset of the film, her and her editor are kind of at odds over kind of her story style, her writing style. And for her to be the person who kind of falls into this, I thought it was really smart on your part, man. Talk a little bit about the decision of how you, the direction you went in when you were writing it, and then also how you attracted the cast uh, that you actually wound up with for this film. Yeah, well, great question. You know, the the, the building the Paula Patton character was, you know, the genesis of the movie. What I wanted to do, uh, you know, not to get all spiritual on you guys, but I wanted to create a a world where we follow a young lady on a journey where she is invested in her job. She's invested in her life. Everything that she's doing is about her craft and her career. And ultimately, because she is so bullish about it, you know, things begin to break around her. Uh, and then ultimately she goes on this journey with this guy who's in love with her and he's trying to marry her. He's trying to be with her and she's more career driven. And ultimately without giving away the entire movie, you know, like God does a lot of times in your life, basically he takes everything from you to understand what your journey, your path is supposed to really be. And, um, I built the movie based around that. And uh, I thought her being a journalist was just an incredible ride because here's a girl that actually wanted something, but, you know, she's going to now get it in 3D, right? The way right. she could actually enhance her whole world this way and live the experience. And uh, so that's kind of, you know, how her character came about. I'm really excited about Paula and what she did. I mean, she did every stunt in the movie. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, man. I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm just excited in general about the film. And, you know, the cast, like anything independently that you do, it was extremely hard to get everybody, to, you know, to come do the movie. Um, you know, you're calling people, you're getting numbers, you're texting, you're begging. You know, all the things that Hollywood would never tell you that you have to do. <laughs> I'm going right. I'm, I'm to tell, tell you the real secrets, right? I'll call Paula every day for two weeks, like, please. <laughs> and... Um, Finally, you know, we, me and her got face to face and, you know, we spoke about the script and what we wanted to do. And, and I was a huge fan of Deja Vu uh, with her and Denzel. And, Denzel. Right. And, and I just wanted it to be as authentic and dope as that movie was to me, if not better, in terms of like her performance. And, um, you know, that resonated with her and, and we high five each other and you know, next thing I know, we were, you know, running around in a forest and making a really, really cool movie and doing something that I think will live with a lot of people for a lot of, for a long time and, and, and open up a open dialogue for a bigger conversation on, on, on trafficking. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, I was telling somebody that, uh, you know, I'm starting to see a lot more films come down the pike that are kind of examining this issue, whether it's short films, indie films. Uh, your film is just another film that's a part of that conversation. But I want to back up a little bit, Dion, and talk a little bit about this cast, man. You know, Omar Epps is in this film. Uh, we've known, you know, we've ch- we've followed his path over the last 20 years. You bring Laz yeah. Alonzo, give him some work. Rosalind Sanchez, who I think doesn't get enough work. William Fitcher, who I, I really like him as a character. How were you able to identify uh, who you wanted to work with? Was it a process that you wrote the story and you had connections and you were able to reach out to people? Or did you kind of have your agent just kind of shop this thing around for you? Explain to the audience, man, how that went for you. Yeah, man. Well, you know, the one thing is there is no agent, right? <laughs> uh, based on the fact that we are a hundred percent independent. I mean, you know, I'm an African-American filmmaker and writer and uh, a lot of the perks that a lot of, you know, other filmmakers get in the city, we don't get uh, based on the fact that we're making this stuff on our own. Um, Grabbing the cast was, you know, one of the hardest things to do based on the fact that I wanted to make a, 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 not only a great thriller, but I wanted to make sure that the performances were top of the line. And obviously, people try to give you all the new faces, which is nothing wrong with it, but it's like, oh, how about this guy? I thought, oh, he's hot right now. I knew Omar Epps in terms of his performances, and I loved him, and he's classic to me. You know what I mean? And Uh and Laz, I felt like he had been uh, missing for a while. He's one of those guys where when you see him, you know him. But why he hasn't been in a lot of stuff recently, I have no idea, right? And... As I started putting the cast together, I was, you know, I was very, very um, uh, persistent in putting together a minority cast that could pull this off, but also where everybody could actually play a really, really strong role. And uh, Omar Epps came. He was, he was fantastic. He jumped right in, man. He was like, D, I love the script. I love the project. Like, just tell me where I need to be. And uh, what's great about Omar is, he doesn't always have to communicate vocally. He has amazing eyes. So a lot of the moments that you find with Omar in this film is, is, is resonates through his look or his face or his eyes. And that's just the true craft of a thespian, a real actor. Uh, Laz is more vocal. He's bigger. He's broad. He's, he's aggressive. And I said, wow, okay, that's an interesting dynamic between two friends. And obviously Rosalind being beautiful and, you know, an extremely powerful actress. I said, man, we got to try this with you because we haven't had a chance to see you stretch out. And uh, I just love the black and the brown of it all, but I also love the performances that these the entire cast gave. I mean, they left it all on the floor, man. So that's kind of how that came together, really just, you know, reaching out to people. Uh, they were very, you know, at first when I started, you know, trying to get the cast, it was extremely hard. But then once I get in front of people, you know, and is able to, I'm able to articulate the vision for the film. Right. You know, they gravitated towards that and, and, and were down to take the journey with me and the ride with me, even if they had not known my previous work. Right. Uh, I think just by what I was explaining to them, they understood I was going to shoot a movie from the heart. And, you know, the independence works a lot for you in these situations as well because they know I'm not going to mess around. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's not a... It's not a studio behind you like, yeah, if you mess up, we'll give you five more million dollars. It's like, no, this is the mo- amount of money we have, and that's it. So when you approach these movies in, in, in that type of capacity, you have to be efficient 
and I have to be efficient as a filmmaker, and they have to be efficient as actors, and I think everyone loved the challenge of that. All right, so if you're just tuning in, we're online with Dion Taylor, writer, director, and producer of Traffic, and one of the little-known secrets is his wife uh, also, uh, pro, you, she produced it with you as well, Roxanne Event. Yeah, so so we've been doing this for, together as a, as, a, as a couple for a long time, man. She produces the films. I write and direct and produce. And uh, it's a family affair, man. Our daughter's on set working. <laughs> we, we, try, we out here trying to make it work, man. But, no, it's great. It's, um, it's an amazing thing. You know, I, as I've gotten older and realized, uh, what we're doing, you know, as a couple and as a family, I, I've, I've really appreciated it more in terms of, you know, having that type of relationship uh, with my wife, having that type of relationship with my family that, you know, we creatively can speak the same language, you know, outside of being married. And um, I'm just really excited about what she's doing in the space as well, outside of me. Uh, being an African-American female producer in Hollywood is a very tough task. Right. And now looking at her credits and understanding that she's able to, you know, make five, six movies now independently by herself as a producer and bring them in under budget and deliver them. And, you know, now you're working hand-in-hand with studios. I'm just beyond, beyond grateful and excited for her and, and blessed to even have her. Um She's a better version of me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if I didn't have her, I'll probably, I wouldn't be on this call right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, no, no, I mean, that's good. I, I, I feel the love. All right, man, we got about a minute left, man. Uh, Dion, make your appeal to people, man. Your movie comes out next week, man. Talk to him directly, man. Oh, man, here we go. So Traffic uh, comes out April 20th. If you are listening to this amazing show, I encourage you to please go see the movie, go support the film. The movie is 100% independent, but outside of that, it is a brilliant thriller. I think you, if you like Get Out, if you like The Vanishing, if you are a fan of talking to the screen, <laughs> this is the movie that you need to go see. Uh, it is grounded in reality. Omar Epps and Paula Patton are amazing. The cinematography is gigantic. Dante Spinotti, who shot Heat, Collateral, the insider is a cinematographer. Nice. And I encourage you to go support African-American filmmakers and African-American cinema. And please, please, please go see it, man. We need you. All right. And you heard it there, man. I'm going to give you the last word, my brother. That's good. So, yeah. So, Dion, thank you for coming through, man. Next time you got your next film coming up, man, you know you got a home here, man. So we want you to come back. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you guys taking the time with me, man. Thank you. All right. You as well, man. You take care, man, and continue success. God bless. All right. You as well, man. And that, of course, is Dion Taylor, writer, producer, director of the upcoming film Traffic. As he said, it opens in theaters next Friday, April the 20th. You want to get there and check it out. We're going to take a break right now and come back on the other side, and it is time to review movies. One of my favorite things to do. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. We'll be right back. All 
righty. And I know I say all righty all the time, but all righty, that's my thing. <laughs> Welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov. Special thanks to Dion Taylor, who came through and, uh, you know, made his passionate plea, of course, for traffic. Um, you guys check that out. I will have a review of that film next week when it comes out. But, uh, you know, you know what time it is. It's the last segment of our show, and every week we review films. So without any further ado, here goes. This week in film, we've got three movies that I want to review this week. And, of course, A Quiet Place is in theaters this week. Blockers is in theaters this week. But we're going to start off with Finding Your Feet, which is a small independent film that is directed by Richard Lancrane. And, of course, it is based on an original screenplay from Nick Moorcroft. Uh, the film stars Emile DeStanton, Timothy Spall, Celia Emery, and Joanne Lumley. And before we start, let's listen to a clip from Finding Your Feet. It's not what it looks like, Sandra. Sandra? 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 Wait. Oh, Mick. How long's it been going on? Let's not do this here. How long, Mike? Since we all went to Sorrento. Oh, bloody hell. That's nearly five years ago. I've had enough of all this hide and seek, Mike. How could you do this to me? You're supposed to be my friend. We even took you to the palace. I... I didn't mean for this to happen, Sandra. Oh, really? You knew precisely what you were doing. Uh, please calm down, Sandra. Remember where you are. I know exactly where I am, in my own bloody home. I have spent my entire married life putting you and your career first, and what got me through was knowing that when you retired, we would share our golden years together. But instead, you've traded me in for a newer model. Let me tell you, Mike, she's had more than one previous owner. And all that body work is mainly filler. Okay, so, yeah, so that kind of sets up, that clip sets it up, which is why I didn't want to tell you <laughs> what the movie was about. But basically, uh, Lady Sandra Abbott, played by Amelia Staunton, uh, finds out that, that, you know, during her anniversary celebration that her husband, her long-term, four-decade husband, has been cheating on her with her best friend <laughs> for almost as long as they've been married. And it sends her off to kind of go and find her sister because she's kind of grief stricken. She kind of separates from her husband. Her sister and her are polar opposites, played by Celia em Emery, uh, her older sister. Uh, while she's kind of conservative and buttoned up, her sister's kind of free spirited, dyed hair, hangs out, dances. And the two of them get back together. She has to go through an attitude adjustment, of course, because of all the anger she's going through in the separation of her husband. She reconnects with her sister. 
and finds love again. So this is kind of, you know, one of the sorts of films that I think the English really excel in. If you watched films like Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, So these kind of rom-coms that not just are featuring younger actors like we have in America, but... You know, they give a lot of shine to, you know, senior citizens, and these films really work. Um, Timothy Spall, who stars in this film, um, actually was in, was, was 180 degrees or polar opposite in the last film I saw him in where he played a really buttoned-up kind of English guy. And I can't remember what the name of the indie was, but it was a, a highly regarded film that I saw at a film fest several years ago. He is totally kind of... Uh, much different. I mean, I know it's acting, but his range is really something to behold. If you've seen some of his work, that he plays a carefree kind of regular guy who is also dealing with love issues because his wife has Alzheimer's and she's slowly but surely forgetting him. And the two of them, you know, of course, Lady Lady Abbott and him kind of connect. So this rom-com I thought was a really interesting film, and it's right for me in my wheelhouse. You know, people talk about it being the feel-good film of the year. Yeah, I don't know if it, I'll go that far, but for on, a, on, a, on a, a, a scale of grading this movie, I would give it a B-. minus. I thought Finding Your Feet was a really solid film. Um, I think it's a very enjoyable film. And it's the kind of film that I think will excel when it when it's out of theaters and it's like on Netflix or people are able to watch it at home at, at home DVD. I think this movie will be one of those really charming, kind of cool. It's got a great soundtrack because there's a lot of dancing in the film. Um, the Brits, they know how to do these films way better than us. So B minus for finding your feet. So really enjoyed that film. Really good film. Now, up next is another comedy, and this one of of the American version, and of course, we're talking Blockers. Blockers, of course, is the uh, directorial debut of Kay Cannon, a woman who I've followed for a minute. Uh, Had a show on Netflix called Girl Boss that was really good, Uh, but this is her directorial debut. And this film stars, of course, Leslie Mann, Ike Barnroll, and John Cena as a trio of parents who try to stop their daughters from losing their virginity on prom night. So before we get into it, here's a clip from Blockers. I'm in. What? I'm in. I'm having sex tonight, too. Uh, Just like that? Yeah, I mean, why not? Because it's your first time, and your first time should be special and... Perfect. Yours can be special and perfect. Mine is gonna be tonight and with that dude. Just brown is Connor Aldrich, your lab partner? Listen, my student athlete days are over. Tonight is the beginning of my adult life, and for the first time, I can do whatever I want. So I wanna go to prom, get drunk, get potted up on weed, and lose my grace palette virginity. We're gonna have the same first time sex anniversary. We can go to dinner every year and commemorate it. Breadsticks for life, dude. Okay, so there you go. So, Blockers is a is a really interesting film from the standpoint. And and before we even start, let me just say that humor is subjective, right? So something that might be funny to Jessica Sturgis on the other side of the glass might not necessarily be funny to me, and vice versa, right? So going into this, you know, you, you've got a film that's produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. So if you know anything about these two, you know going in the type of humor that Seth Goldberg likes. You know, a lot of raw physical comedy. They'll show you some stuff sometimes you you really don't want to see. 
but it might be funny because it's kind of awkward at the same time. And this film just feels like awkward personified because basically what you have through a very brilliant opening montage is that we see three neighbors who each have daughters around the same age. Their daughters connect in kindergarten and we see them grow up and, you know, during the opening montage until we get to current day and they're all getting ready to graduate from high school and they're all preparing for their prom. And each of the girls, they all make a pact that they all want to lose their virginity during the prom. Uh, And of course, the parents find out and hilarity ensues. That's the easiest way to explain it. Um, If you've watched movies like 40-something and you've seen Leslie Mann, you kind of know her comic sensibility. John Cena is really well cast in this film because, of course, as a former WWE wrestler, he's huge and bulky, but they play him as being really, really sensitive and cries at the drop of a hat. He's raised his daughter as a jock, so he's having problems figuring out how to see his daughter as a young woman versus seeing her as an athlete. And then the final girl is battling with her sexuality, really understanding that she might be gay, but, you know, she's going along with her friends and hiding who she really is. Uh, So you've got these elements all at play as the parents are trying to foil the plans for their daughter's uh, prom night. You've got uh, one of the boyfriends of the girl. uh, Parents are played by Gary Cole and Gina Gershaw, who uh, (laughs) is this very liberated sexual couple who... You know, you have to see the film. <laughs> that's just that, that's the easiest way to explain. You just got to see the film. And then last but not least, uh, you, you're dealing with, uh, of course, the Rogan Goldberg kind of gags where you're talking about, you know, uh, butt, butt chugging and a lot of other things uh, I, I can't go into on this radio show. But needless to say, I found this movie to kind of not necessarily be the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. But I will admit I did laugh indeed. I mean, you can see the end of the story coming or you can see the resolution coming a mile away. But I found it to be entertaining. Um, If I had to give it a grade, I'd give Blockers a C plus. Um, Like I said, I think some people may enjoy this film a lot more than I did. Some others may say, well, Tim, you're just tripping. That movie's not really that funny at all. It's kind of stupid. And, you know, and and you both could be right. (laughs) So Blockers, of course, uh, last thing I will add is if you look at the poster for Blockers, there's a rooster over Blockers. They really wanted to give you a different title, but we'll just call it Blockers for that. And then you figure out what the rooster and Blockers means. Which brings us to our final film. And, of course, that film is A Quiet Place. And this film uh, is is from the husband and wife team of John Krasinski, who's making his directorial debut, along with his wife, Emily Blunt. And it tells the story of a family that's living in the future where any sound they make can have them killed. And here's a clip from A Quiet Place. Military fighting a massive invasion. Total devastation. We have to protect them. Promise me. I promise. This film here um, is a really interesting story from the standpoint that it's almost like a silent film because, of course, they've got to be quiet in order to live. 
it tells they, they, I thought as a person who doesn't like horror that the white knuckle elements of this film really really work well um, I like the fact that they don't really reveal what the terror is until later in the film um, this movie I thought you know it has a lot of holes in it that are things that don't make sense but I, I just went along with it and thought that as I call it a white knuckle thriller I really enjoyed A Quiet Place um, as somebody who really doesn't like the genre, you know, this is a movie I would just simply say that I gave it a B. I thought A Quiet Place was pretty decent. I mean, if you just go in and look at it for what it is. So, you know, A Quiet Place is probably going to be the movie that's going to finish number one this week. It's the one to beat. All right. We're going to wrap it up and get on out of here this weekend. You guys, of course, as I tell you in closing every week, please see something good. Uh, at the movies. You got three really good options. You make the choice. Until next time, you're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, dcradio.gov, and we're out. <laughs>